It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Friday, May 28th. I'm Meredith Reddick with Raven News. The Sitka Salmon Derby returns this Memorial Day weekend after a year's layoff due to the pandemic. Organizers say the 66-year-old event is getting a shot in the arm from the recently announced sport bag limit, which is three king salmon a day for Alaska residents. KCAW's Robert Woolsey has this advice on how to win the $6,000 grand prize. This is not my advice. This is Eric Jordan's advice. He and his wife Sarah run the way station at the northern end of the derby off their troller, I Gotta. Jordan is a commercial salmon fisherman and knows a thing or two about hooking Chinook. Step one, to win the Sitka Salmon Derby, you best be... Keeping the rods in the water especially over tide changes and the last of the flood. This rules out a lot of people, such as the one you're listening to now, who, if they don't get a strike within about 15 minutes, begin to doubt the very existence of king salmon and pick up their gear prematurely. Now, step two on the way to winning the Sitka Salmon Derby. Have a favorite lure that you use and really get to know how to use it well, whether it's uh, choking a herring, Uh, behind a flasher or rolling a herring behind a lead or a hot spoon or plug or combination of flasher and hoochies. The last step is probably the most difficult of all. It's patience. In 35 years working the weigh-in station in Killeenan Bay, the biggest fish Jordan ever weighed was a 66-and-a-half-pound monster entered in the 2002 Derby by Sharon Gillespie. Eleven years earlier, Sharon's husband, Marv, turned in a 71-pounder. They always fished the same spot every year and ground away, and often they'd catch fish when uh, there weren't very many around. The Sitka Salmon Derby is a benefit run by the Sitka Sportsmen's Association. After a year off, the grand prize for the biggest fish is now $6,000, a couple of thousand more than the 2019 event. Sportsman's Association President and Derby Chairman John McCrayan says he's expecting to be busy this year because the Department of Fish and Game this spring raised the bag limit for kings to three per day for residents. During the two previous derbies, the bag limit was only one fish. That remains the case for non-resident fishermen who can keep only one king per day with a limit of four annually. But the derby has never been aimed at attracting out-of-town anglers per se. Sitka sees plenty of those the rest of the summer. The money that doesn't go to prizes goes to support association activities, including a pair of $2,000 scholarships this year, one each awarded to a Mount Edgecombe High School senior and a Sitka High senior. Eric Jordan says the Sitka Salmon Derby actually may not have much at all to do with catching the biggest fish. What I often say is the fishing, particularly the derby when spring is happening and you get out there with your family. We have a lot of families uh, come by. And the fishing is often great. The catching isn't always great. Jordan's final advice is to take a bird book with you on the water, look for bears and wildlife browsing on the beach, and if you catch a bunch of fish under the new bag limit, consider eating some. All that, in his mind, makes the Sitka Salmon Derby a win-win-win. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. The Sitka Salmon Derby runs five days in all, this Memorial Day weekend, Saturday through Monday, and the following weekend, Saturday and Sunday. 
You can pick up a copy of the rules brochure at Orion Sporting Goods or LFS Marine Supply. As the fishing season ramps up, so does frustration with a federal requirement that people wear face masks on commercial fishing vessels. It's part of the CDC's guidelines on mask wearing on public transportation to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. For Alaska's Energy Desk, Izzy Ross reports. Joe Trotter has fished in Bristol Bay for 13 years. I think it's ridiculous that they're asking us to wear masks. Trotter's crew members on the fishing vessel Sea Hag will all be vaccinated. And he says since they don't come into contact with anyone else during the season, spreading the virus to others isn't really a possibility. If you go into shore or you go into Dillingham, you go into Naknek, whatever, you go on land somewhere, yeah, okay. But requiring us to have a mask on our fishing boat while we're fishing, no, that's ridiculous. And I'm not going to have my crew do that. We're not, it's it's a safety issue for if nothing else. But he's up against the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Coast Guard. Both agencies say crew on commercial fishing vessels need to wear a face mask. The Coast Guard says crew members can take off their face masks for specific tasks if it's unsafe to be wearing them. But when they're done, they have to put the masks right back on. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski is frustrated by the rules. At a recent Senate hearing, she said she worries fishing crews will be more concerned about the liability of noncompliance with the mask requirement rather than their immediate safety. This is more of a safety hazard than anything out. You're out on a boat. The winds are howling. Your mask is soggy wet. Tell me, tell me how anybody thinks that this is a sane and a sound policy to do. This week, Murkowski and New Hampshire Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan wrote a letter to the CDC and the Coast Guard asking them to work together to exempt commercial fishers from the mask requirement. They pointed out that the CDC has loosened its recommendations for fully vaccinated people in general, but not commercial fishing crews. According to the letter, the Coast Guard told the senators it couldn't change its mask requirements until the CDC changed its order. The CDC did not immediately respond to request for comment Thursday about if it had plans to change the rules. The mask rules do come with penalties. According to the Coast Guard, repeated failure to comply could result in civil and or criminal enforcement action. While Coast Guard officers aren't necessarily boarding commercial vessels just to check mask compliance, some in the industry say they'll look for masks when boarding for other reasons. For Alaska's Energy Desk in Dillingham, I'm Izzy Ross. Over the weekend, Juno drag performers hosted their first live show in 15 months. They invited people for a rowdy night of in-person, maskless entertainment, with just one catch. You had to be vaccinated to get in the door of the Red Dog Saloon, and you had to prove it. With her vaccine card in hand, KTOO's Rasha McChesney went to check out the show. A short line snaked out of the door of the Red Dog Saloon on Saturday night as people waited to show their vaccine cards and IDs. And once you did, it was a little like stepping back in time or maybe into an alternate reality where the COVID-19 pandemic doesn't exist. We are getting ready to start this back the show. We're putting the final touches on our drag backstage. Showtime in five minutes. People are hugging. It's hot and sweaty and vibrantly queer. There's lots of glitter and gender bending, a shirtless bartender and suspenders. Virtually no one is wearing a mask. So many people are saying this is the first time they've gathered with so many other people in such a long time. The music starts to come up. 
people are settling into their seats and looking up at this glittery black curtain stage expectantly. And then suddenly, in a flouncy pile of black tulle and a tall, rainbow-feathered headdress, Juno's drag mom, Gigi Monroe, appears behind the crowd. Mouths drop open comically. People are so excited. The classic bait-and-switch works so well. She glides through the room, lip-syncing to this classic pink song. The energy is so high and the excitement just palpable. And for Monroe, whose non-stage name is James Hoagland, this was a moment of realization. As soon as I came out and I saw that our audience, instead of sharing like the balcony level and the floor level um, to spread out more, everybody clustered together on the floor level and got as close as they could because they were just dying to have that experience. And that was my signal that everyone was ready for it. Monroe and I caught up later in the week to chat about the show, and days later, she's still a little hoarse. I completely forgot how to use a microphone. She says, for the most part, everything went smoothly. It was just like riding a bicycle. No one forgets how to be social, how to enjoy a live show. They just sometimes need to be coaxed back into it. But there were some things that were different. If you paid close attention, you'd notice that she kind of kept her distance from the crowd. The other performers did, too. Usually they weave through the audience, amping up the crowd, teasing tips out of them. But Monroe says they discourage that during the show and ask people to consider tipping digitally or tossing money into buckets near the stage. For the most part, people complied. Though I did see one woman get in mid-show who hadn't bought a ticket or brought her vaccine card. She swore up and down to the door guy that she'd been vaccinated, though. And at any other time, that would have been a normal part of going to a live show. But it felt particularly weird when the show organizers were clearly trying to create a safe space for people. The troupe did two shows, one early and one late. Each was capped at 100 tickets. Both sold out. Monroe says there was some uncertainty in hosting an event that large. I kept waiting for someone else to do it. Um, Someone else to be the first big event, um, whether it was for vaccinated only or not. but just to try to host something indoors that was for a larger audience. Um, And no one had done it. So (laughs) um, as time went on, I said, okay, I really didn't want to be the first one to push this, but I really believe in it. I have total faith and confidence that it's a safe thing to do. She says some people in the Juno drag troupe were hesitant, too. I mean, I think on the performer side of things, it was a smaller cast because not everybody was quite ready to take that leap with me. Even though they're done with digital drag for now, Monroe says for those performers or audiences who don't want to be indoors yet, they've got two live outdoor shows coming up this summer. In Juno, I'm Rasha McChesney. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.